it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Not a lot has happened with the Trailblazers since the season ended, except for the fact that they lost their grip on the New Orleans Pelicans draft pick. That is something that sent the fan base into a little bit of a tizzy. I am Aaron Fentress. This is the Blazer Focused Podcast. I am here with Craig Bernbach. Craig, the Blazers into the offseason, hoping to have two lottery picks. They lost one. People were griping and crying about the CJ trade because of that. That's going to be our main topic of discussion today. Does it, how much does it hurt that they lost this pick? Would you still have made this trade? We'll also get into some other things as well. But let's start there, uh, given that that's the only thing that's really happened since the season ended in terms of the Blazers. Uh, what was your feelings on that situation after watching CJ basically take a knife and stab the Blazers fans <laughs> in the heart and rip it out and then eat it in front of them as he stood over the Clippers' corpse? <laughs> uh, I love the fact that you used the word tizzy. Like that's awesome. Uh, I will. I will say uh, it stinks. I mean, it's it stinks. Like there's no there's no way around that. Um, I think that it, people should be disappointed, um, and they should be mad at at a certain star player for the Clippers that was unavailable. Because as soon as that happened, goodness, Paul George, COVID, and that was it. You know, you you have to, and that's why it's. Playoffs are crazy. I mean, we're seeing injuries all throughout these these playoffs that have affected things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's no way to you can't tiptoe around the fact that it stinks. It's huge. I mean, it's a potential you know top player. It's a potential starter. It's a potential star. Um, and it was the reason for doing the trade. You know why the trade was? I thought a good trade. Uh, you say, would I still do it? Well, no, not with a time machine. <laughs> like, you know, what kind of idiot am I? Like, of course I wouldn't do it. Uh, but if you give me the same factors and the same odds, I would do it again. You know, but because they played the odds, it bit them. Paul George totally hosed them by being, you know, not being available. And the Pelicans, you know, now keep the pick. So, um I think the fan base should be upset. I'm not mad at Joe Cronin for making the deal. I, I really don't enjoy the rhetoric or the tweets about people saying they could have done better and that there were better deals out there. And yet I haven't seen one actual, you know, there's no proof of that. Um, and why wouldn't Joe Cronin make the better deal? That's the part that always gets me. I'm like, there were better deals that he turned down. I'm like, well, why? Obviously, he didn't think they were better. It's not that's not how you keep a job. So but yeah, I don't there's no way to tiptoe around it, right, Aaron? It stinks. It's bad. Yeah, it's not good. It hurts because they were counting on that pick and uh, have two lottery picks and two shots at moving into the top three. And now they only have one, which is still uh, worth tanking, I still believe. But yeah, you want that lottery pick. Now they do get the Bucks first round pick in 2025. So they, they don't get completely hosed, but that pick is probably going to be in the twenties because the Bucks don't look like they're going to be bad in the next couple of years. So yeah, it does hurt. And so in hindsight, would you say, uh, I wouldn't make the deal? I mean, I, I think in hindsight, you still try and make a deal, but you don't allow that pick to be protected or you ask for the better of the two picks between the Lakers pick and the Pelicans pick with the Pelicans own the Lakers pick. So you could have done, gone that route. 
Um, but at the end of the day, the bottom line is they they had to move off of CJ, and I believe that was the best deal available. Now, what best means is the problem here, because what I think best, I'm doing air quotes right now, means to people out there who have been griping about this is that they could have gotten a better player than Josh Hart. But what kind of contract did that player have? How would that player fit? And would they be just trying to move that player anyway? You see what I'm saying? So player for player, you can say, oh, they could have gotten a better player. Well, yeah, but I don't want the player that I could get. What if he's just another CJ? What if he just, what if it's a center who's no better than Nurkic, but he's better than Hart? Okay, but I don't need that guy. And and he's got $100 million on his contract. Well, do I need that? Well, yeah, yeah, you could maybe take him and then not resign Nurkic. I mean, you could come up with different scenarios, but if he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit. The bottom line is Hart is good and Hart fits what they want. I totally believe that if you asked uh, Chauncey Billups, who you would rather start alongside Dame in the backcourt, Hart or McCollum, he's going to pick Hart. And I know a lot of people freak out about that because Hart is not as good of a scorer, but Hart does everything else better than McCollum. And we saw evidence of that in this playoff series. All the CJ stands, every time he went out and had a good game, they jumped on their little bandwagon and, and took shots at Cronin because it was low-hanging fruit and easy. Well, he was doing things we knew he could do. We saw him do it for six years. He averaged 22. Yeah, CJ scored 38 through the night. We shouldn't have traded him. Yeah, like he's never scored 38 for Portland. So we've seen him do these things before. So why are people blowing him out of proportion now? But the other thing we've seen him do recently as last spring is have a bad playoff series, right? And contribute to the team losing in the first round series. Well, this time he just did the same thing with the Pelicans against the Suns. Now, granted, the Suns were the one seed, but they were without Booker. But still, CJ goes out and shoots 39% from the field and 33% on threes for the series. Those are career lows, not counting his rookie season when he only played 24 minutes in the entire playoffs. So he had, I mean, he averaged 22, 7, and 5, yeah, but not very efficient at all. His effective field goal percentage was 46%. So, and, and defensively, he's non-existent. Chris Paul just went 14 of 14, and a lot of that was on CJ in game six. So he basically did the same thing he did last spring. Now, last spring, he shot a little bit better, 44 from the field, but 33 on threes again. He did not shoot well from three in that series last year either. So you ask yourself, okay, now do I want that guy as good as he is a lot of the times? He fades in the playoffs two years in a row, and I'm paying him $69 million, or do I want Josh Hart? who's not going to take as many shots, but he's going to be more efficient and, and at the very least give me some defense. Chris Paul's not going 14 for 14 on Josh Hart. There's no way that's happening if you put Josh Hart on him. So, But if you notice, none of the CJ fans were talking last night on Twitter. I kept waiting for a, a certain specific couple to say something. I kept checking their feed. And you know probably one of them who I'm talking about. He didn't say Jack. No one said anything. It was quiet. I almost jumped in and said something, but I thought, nah, in order for me to make this point, I got to pick on CJ, and I like CJ, so I'm not going to pick on CJ. But the bottom line is the trade was smart, big picture-wise. They didn't get as much as they thought they would get out of it. That sucks. But at the end of the day, if they can turn that mid-level exception into a good player, Hart and that player, and then the benefit of sucking to get a top 10 pick, and that 2025 first-round pick, Still better for the franchise than keeping CJ McCollum. You can't just ignore the money. I mean, he made over thirty million, and you know Josh Hart's like in the five, you know, five million range. Twelve, twelve million range. I mean, so I mean, uh, that's 
It's like twenty million. It's twenty million dollar difference. It's twenty three for next year, and CJ's not twenty three million dollars better than than Josh Hart. It's not, and you end up getting with the tank. You might end up with three starters, or two, you know, or three players that play top six in your rotation, top seven, yeah, important minutes, yeah. right? And we know what you get with CJ. I mean, like to me, it, it gets the Twitter stuff and these conversations. It just it's hard because. Like you, I like CJ. CJ did everything he kind of promised he could do. You know, he can right. score. The man's a bucket. He 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 sometimes needs will shoot six for seventeen to get his twenty points. Sometimes he'll have sixteen. Sometimes he'll have thirty-five. You know, like, but he's not going to run the point. He's not going to be a you know a defender that you're you're confident in. Um, so. You're going to get what you get from CJ. So to be surprised, and sometimes I was just shocked at, you know, listening to national guys on radio or or writing this or or tweeting it like when he has a good game, like that suddenly the Blazers didn't yeah. know what they gave up. I know. It's like, of course we know what they gave you know exactly. up. Exactly. He's been doing it for <laughs> 10 years. Like, what do you, you, do you think we thought he sucked? I know. No, we didn't think we th- he sucked. Oh my God, he scored 25. I had no idea CJ could score 25. Oh my God. Did you see him cross over and get to the elbow and shoot that jumper? Oh my God. Why did he ever do that in Portland? <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God, he's playing in the play. He's playing in the playing game against a mediocre to bad team, and he's scoring on them. Like, oh my goodness! Like shocked. Oh, he's beating a Clipper team with zero stars, and he's scoring. <laughs> you know, like I just uh, blew me away that that suddenly CJ McCollum. And it's not like he was in his second year and he sat the bench and scored six the, right. his entire first year, and then scored twenty five. I'm like, so. With that said, why weren't they saying the same things about Josh Hart in that four-game span? Right. You know, like, oh, my God, Josh Hart's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. But you don't want to get on there and do anything to bash CJ because then you sound like you're a CJ hater, which I never was. I was always like, CJ does what he does. He They offered him they offered him 30-plus million a year. He took it. Of course he should have taken it because he probably wouldn't – he might not have been able to get that elsewhere. I, that was the problem. The problem was CJ's contract, not CJ as a player, but CJ's contract and what that meant to the team to have all that money tied up in, you know, in two guards that are were rather similar. I mean, Dame's more of a point guard, but defensively, not awesome. A much better scorer, a much better shooter, a much better leader. So you get rid of CJ, uh, and then you go to the first. You you get a little break. When the best player that on either team can't play, so you win, you go to the first round, the best player on both teams goes out with an injury, you make it competitive, and then you lose four games in two. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. And that's it. And that team is going to be really good because they have really talented players. They drafted well. CJ's going to fit in nicely. If Zion ends up being a monster, they're going to be awesome. But CJ's going to be – he's not going to be the best player on that team. So uh, I just – I'm just shocked by the the people acting like somehow this is unexpected for CJ to be a good scorer and for CJ to be a bad defender at times and for the – you know, the, him to not have a – have really good games and not so good games. It's like 
This is what Joe Cronin knew. This is what the Blazers knew the entire time. No surprises. Let's let's admit that losing the draft pick sucked. <laughs> like bottom line, that would have made the trade that much better. Uh, but you still needed to move off CJ one way or the other. Now here's another part of this: is that the final playoff game or playing game was against the Clippers, who were without George and Kawhi Leonard, but they had two players. That when the Blazers traded them those two players for Keon Johnson and Bledsoe, people blew a gasket. Everyone in the media, except me, well, not everyone, most people in the media, most fans were just losing their mind because they overvalued Powell and Covington in their minds. Whereas the Blazers knew by sh- from shopping Powell around and his contract, we had 90 $94 million deal with four years remaining, <clears throat> that it was, he was a tough sell because he's an undersized guard. He's kind of a twinner between a two and a three with an undersized three as well as an undersized guard. He's solid defensively, but still, he's small, so he's not, you know, imposing defensively. And so they had trouble moving him, so they pretty much decided that they just wanted to move him for a young player and an expiring contract in Bledsoe, and then they can use the money elsewhere. Bledsoe, or excuse me, with even with Paul George out, the Clippers don't even start Powell or Covington. So Powell or Covington, these amazingly coveted players that the Blazers should have gotten way more for, were backups on a team in desperation mode, minus their two best players who play the same position. Right. So it's just that illustrated to me that, oh, so maybe that trade wasn't bad either. And then that those two couldn't come up with good games to help the Clippers beat the Pelicans so that the Blazers could keep the pick. So it was like, it was just all these little things, little nuanced stories were going on in that whole situation. And at the end of the day, I come away from the entire postseason thinking, yeah, they made the right moves. Powell, CJ, redundant, too much money, combined 63 or 53 million between those two ne- next year. You got avenues to add different players that fit your team better, and you still got that pick down the road. And Keon Johnson, I like, I like that guy, dude. Like, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a star. I'm not even saying he's going to be a starter, but I, I'm saying that very quickly either by the end of next year or the the following season, he's going to be a legit guy off the bench if he can keep improving his jump shot because defensively and athletically, he's got the goods. He just needs to develop his shot. So I don't don't think they got nothing in terms of getting Keon Johnson along in that deal. But such is life, man. That's why he's a first-round pick. Yeah, he's a a first-round pick. pick. Yeah, imagine crying about not getting a first-round draft pick but then crying about getting a guy who was taken in the first round. Anyway, go ahead. That you know can play a little bit, like you've seen play. Right. And Justice Winslow is going to be, a, you know, he's going to contribute to this team. And if he plays at the level he did uh, in some of those competitive games, he's going to be a huge factor because he is a Chauncey Billups play, kind of player, you know, because he plays defense and he can match up on multiple positions. Uh, look, bottom line, when you decide to dump the entire roster, there's <laughs> going to be a mistake somewhere. You know, you can't give up 10 guys and then have none of them succeed, right? Like, somebody's going to be good. They're in the NBA. And someone's good. Look, the, the most shocking thing that happened with all the players that the, that the Blazers traded out was Covington scored 40 one night. And I know no one else was playing, but I never thought that was going to happen. You know, he hit like a gazillion threes. But none of these players uh, have done did anything that was unexpected. And once again, you dump the entire roster, somebody's going to end up being really good. But no no one's going to shock me, I don't think. Norman Powell can score, and he can play defense. 
He's an he's a two, undersized three. Robert Covington is a role player that's supposed to play good defense and sometimes does. He can do a little bit of everything, but he's not going to be a star. And Josh Hart's probably going to play the same role and be better at it. But you have when you trade your entire roster, you give up some talent. So think judging every single player for in every single game, that's what Twitter's all about, right? I mean, it's for instant reaction, and that's what people are doing. The biggest problem I have with the whole thing is saying they didn't take the best trade. I just don't get it. I'm like, how do you know? And if you do know, say something. You know, like, tell us what the better trade is, because I don't see why why Joe Cronin would have taken a worse deal. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Rolled the dice a little. Could have been huge uh, to get the two picks, especially if they go with the Fentress plan, which is to trade out and get a, you know, and get a player. Um, and that's my question for you, Aaron. Do you think this makes that less likely? Because you, the entire time, have said the Blazers, they need to, you know, not, you know, they need their, your number one thing would be to trade out and get a player. Um, so without the draft pick, that makes that a little bit harder. Do you still think that's going to happen or are now you leaning more towards them making the pick? So what's interesting is that I was of the mind that Grant was going to, if they go get Jeremy Grant, who seems to be the player that's definitely on their radar and someone who could be available, that you're not going to be able to get him for the 11th pick, I don't think. Um, and then it was going to take that first pick and you wouldn't trade that first pick for a top three, but you might if it's six because this isn't considered that deep of a draft. Uh, so to me, it was going to cost a sixth pick and you use a trace exception. And if I'm Detroit, if I don't want to give Jeremy Grant a four-year, $111 million extension, I can get the sixth pick in the draft during my rebuild. Plus, I have my own pick, which is going to be top five. I'm all over that. Like, why would I not do that? Uh, so I still think that's in play. Now, some people don't believe you you should trade the sixth pick for a Jeremy Grant. He's not good enough. But if you go look on reference, basketball reference, and you just call up every top, every sixth pick ever, there's no way you can walk away saying you wouldn't trade Jeremy Grant for that pick because he's better than 80 to 90% of the players taken at six in the last 40 years. And that's not an exaggeration. Then someone said to me, well, yeah, but there's players better than him that went after six. I'm like, yeah, there are, but not very many. Like, it's not like you can find, like the percentage of success goes down with each pick. So yes, in some drafts, like, okay, take the 2017 draft. Uh, We all know Donovan Mitchell went what? 13 and Bam went 14 or something like that. So those players were better than, you know, what you could conceivably, or better than Grant, sorry. So yeah, but in that year also, from 10, from Zach on down to 30, there's really only three or four players who like you'd say, oh my God, those guys were pretty good, including John Collins and his, I think there's someone else in that. I think Anubi, I think Anubi is in there. The rest of them though are misses because you could end up with the, uh, Oh my God, the Jacksons of the world from Carolina, who the Blazers picked and then traded. And then who's the kid from Duke that went to Sacramento and then came to Portland for one year? The center guy. Oh my God. I can't remember his name. It wasn't very good. I can't remember his name. (laughs) Anyway, so you end up with, there's more of a chance you're going to miss anyway, regardless of who you take at six. So I would trade that sixth pick for Grant in a heartbeat. Now Now this is up to the evaluation process of the Blazers. If they look at the draft and they go, huh, there's, here's two or three players that are going to be available at six. One of these three is going to be available. Then you decide, do I like that player 
more than Grant. If you do, then you keep that player. But another factor in this is the age. Would I rather have a 28-year-old guy ready to play or a 19-year-old not ready to play? If it's a 19-year-old not ready to play, I better be able to have a crystal ball that tells me this guy is going to be great, at least be rotational now and then great down the line. Otherwise, you go with the proven guy who can play at an NBA level from the neck up as well as physically. So I would trade that pick for Grant unless I believe for sure that the sixth pick is going to be a baller. But based on history, 80 to 90% chance he's not going to be. Yeah, and you can't know. I mean, everyone who talks about draft picks, they say Damian Lillard, they say Steph Curry. You know, you only see the wins, the Donovan Mitchells. You don't you don't do what you did, which is go back and count all the, the losses. And look, there's been plenty of players that won and two that have been total, total busts. I mean, we don't have to relive what happened here in Portland to do that. But th- there's other, you know, Mike Olo Candy was not a good number one pick. You know, I mean, it's there's it. It's a huge risk, and when you know what you have, and like you said, in your scenario, you have a 28 year old that you know is a very solid starter in the NBA, and that's hard. That's not easy just to find and pluck out. And know that a 19-year-old is going to end up being that way. In your scenario, you would always, you know, when you talk about that, you say, unless you know. If you knew, you would, you would never your your team would be perfect. Because every year you hit a home run. You know what I mean? Like right. that's just not how this thing works. So to me, it's more about what what do they envision in the short term for their team? And a lot of this has to do with the people making the decisions. And who they have there. I mean, Damon Lillard and Joe Cronin, they're in this position where Damon Lillard has a small window because he's aging. Joe Cronin has a small window because he doesn't have the job. And right. we don't know where the, you know, for good. I'm just saying, like, no, you, I'm laughing because you're right. You know, because he taking a 19 year old that you think is going to be good at 23, that's the right thing to do for the franchise. I mean, you think it's going to be great at 23. Right. That's the right thing to do for the franchise long term. But, Guys making decisions who most of them, 90% of guys in the NBA that are in the positions of making these picks don't have the luxury of saying, well, even if I mess up, I'll be here in four years to wait for the good stuff. So, and especially with the unclear direction of where ownership is with the Blazers. So to me, it makes it more likely that they trade for Grant if they could. As a person that looks at Grant I I want to roll. I want him to roll the dice. Like I want him to find a Steph Curry and a, a Damon Lillard or a Mitchell or you know, preferably in a who plays the three or the four. You know, I want him to trade up to get Bancaro because in my mind, I think that guy's going to be a star. And I think there's no chance I'm wrong, even though of course I'm going to be wrong. You know, so it's more exciting to roll the dice and and pick somebody than go get a 28 year old that's going to average 19. You know, so I understand why fans are doing that. I'm not saying it's a smart thing. I'm just saying it's 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 more exciting. I agree. To your early point about how I always like go back and look, one of the things people complain about Myles Myers Leonard, New Loche really blew that pick. And I always ask, who would you have taken? Blank face. And it's because they don't know. And I already know they don't know because I've looked at this draft before. Here are the players that went after Myers Leonard. And some of them are better. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Myers Leonard wasn't great. He was not. But there's no clear guy that you go, oh my God, Jeremy Lamb, Kendall Marshall, John Henson, Mo Harkless, who ended up with the Blazers, Royce White, Tyler Zeller, Terrence Jones, 
Andrew Nicholson, who ended up on the Blazers' books, right? And then Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier, legit. 9,000 career points, great sharpshooter. So le- so legitimately, you had to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right. eight, nine, ten picks, nine picks to find a guy flat out way better, although Lamb, you could say Lamb's better, um, to say Mar- that say they messed up taking Myers Leonard. Fournier is the only only dude that's, you know, got generational money. Right, you know, exactly. Like the rest of them don't. They, they, they're, they're, you know, he's got a contract. His family's paid for. His grandkids will go to college. The rest of them were, you're right. They're not, they, they're as good or not as good. Now, here's another thing. Sometimes people, I think, get, receive too much praise for making the gym pick because I always wonder, would they have made that pick if they were picking higher? So let's take Steph Curry. The Warriors get all this credit. Oh, they took Steph Curry. They took Steph Curry. Look, they're genius. They took Steph Curry. Well, Steph Curry went seventh. The only way, if you're seventh, that you get Steph Curry, if everyone believes he's the best player in the draft, is if six people screw up, right? And if you knew he was the best player in the draft, you would have traded up to get him. You wouldn't have sat there at seven and waited for him. So I would love to know what their draft board looked like because number one in that draft was Griffin, legit. After that, Hashim Thabit, then Harden, legit. Not. Then Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans, who was solid but not great. Then Ricky Rubio. He might be good again now that he's back. Right. Ricky, Ricky Rubio, again, solid but not break, great. Johnny Flynn, solid but not great. So I wonder if the Warriors had the- Johnny Flynn, not solid. Johnny Flynn, not solid. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Yeah, John, never mind. Only, never mind. <laughs> that was a terrible. That was a. T- yeah, that, that was, was a, a terrible bad pick. Pick. That was a bad pick. So, and they took back to back point guards and took the wrong point guard. But, but my thing is, terrible. I, I want to see. In, in order for me to say the Warriors were genius, I want to see their draft board. If you show me that they had Curry or they or they had Curry ranked as the second or third best player in this draft or fourth, and then he slipped to them, great. But if they would have taken any one of these other players ahead of Curry, if they had had a higher pick, then they deserve no credit whatsoever because they drafted Curry by default. <laughs> I love you say that. Like you're like, show me the receipts yes. of things you yes. did, of things you no, but of things you did not purchase. Like yeah. you, like, that's, a, that's the truth. Of course, they're gonna lie. Like somebody there is like. We had we we actually had Johnny Flynn three. Yeah, so like if they had the <laughs> we third totally would have taken Johnny think, Flynn. But think about that. For all we know, the Warriors had they picked third would have passed on Harden and Curry and taken Rubio. <sighs> we don't know. If you can show me that's not the case, I will pray. If you can show me Curry was your third or fourth best player in this draft and you got him at seven, you're a genius. Unless second and third were Evans and Flynn, then you're not a genius. So here you got lucky. Here's here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. They're geniuses because they took Curry. They took Draymond Green in the second round. They took Clay late, you know, pretty late in the first round. So to me, I give it to them because Draymond Green in the second round, I mean, that's, you don't win championships without that pick. And that's a genius pick because you got him in the second round and he's going to be a, I, I believe, a Hall of Famer. He's a, he is, he was a franchise. Uh, I, I believe he's, it, he's not better than Steph Curry. He's not better than Kevin Durant. But they don't win any of the championships without Draymond Green. I mean, he's just a different and dude, and he made them different. And he can, he can, he's like water, man. Wherever there's there's a crack, and he needed filled that for that team. I mean, he's guarding a, 
a freaking center, man. He's guarding the best center on the planet, and they, and, he, and they they win. So I give them genius status because okay. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt based on those other picks. But I see what you're saying. Like, of course, there's some luck involved. Like uh, the other teams, you know, someone took Johnny Flynn, someone took Ashim at the beat and left them Steph Curry. You know, and and they they reap the benefits. But I've always said there's a lot of luck. Yeah, you, and you have lot. to give them credit because they, they hit on three guys, period, and they won championships. So no matter what, you give them credit. However, these are the same people, unless they change people out of that and hear about it, who drafted James Wiseman over LaMelo Ball. Oops. No one's going to be perfect in this draft thing because no one's gonna be it's perfect. too unpredictable. You just got to get lucky. The Blazers got the Kevin Durant, Greg Oden thing. It, not they just That's so unlucky. It's not just that... Durant turned out to what he what he did. It's that Odin turned out to what he was. Like, you know, it's it's not sometimes one and two are both really good, but it gets worse when one is a top, you know, 50 player all time, and the other guy can't even play. And that's why <laughs> when you get a zero. That's why Joe that, Cronin right? can't right. That's why Joe Cronin has can't be patient if he wants to be a general manager in this league, either for the Blazers or for someone else, they don't they don't wait four years to evaluate you, even though they should. But they don't. You know, that's not how this league works. It's not how professional sports work, except baseball, because you have the minor leagues, you know, and you have that luxury. But even there, um, you know, but I mean, NFL general managers, NBA general managers, your lifespan's not going to be 10 years um, unless you you're successful for a a considerable amount of time. So I'm looking at a mock draft, and I don't even know the date of it. I'm just throwing out some names here. Yeah, it's pretty recent since the season ended. So at the six in the sixth range, Keegan Murray, Ford of I- Ford from Iowa, six eight. He's 21. He would probably be more ready to play, maybe not start, but play. Then you got a shooting guard, uh, Shadon Sharp from Kentucky, six five, 19. The last thing to me you need is 19 year old shooting guard. And then Benedict Matherin, shooting guard, Matherin. Shooting guard, yeah, Arizona. Arizona. I'm, bad. I'm bad with these kids' names. He's, he's also he's fantastic. He's also 19. So, and a 6'6 wing guy. So, yeah, I mean. But not. He's a guard. Huh? He's a guard. He's a flat guard. He can, you know, he's not going to play the three. Okay. So, anyway. Yeah, to you, me, if you, you take get a out of that top old, four. Do you take a 19-year-old guard wing? Like, and then what does that do for you as opposed to Grant? That guy, only if you believe he's going to be special down the road. To me. There's four. The top four guys are really good. Ivy plays a position you don't need. Chet uh, Holmgren weighs 18 pounds. I don't want him. <laughs> I mean, to me, there's two guys in this draft that if I if I could get Smith or Bancaro, and I'm the Blazers. Those are the two that that I would not trade out of. Everything else, I would. You know, but of course, I'm a schmo. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> not. I'm just saying. Like I'm not an. I'm not an NBA scout. I didn't watch a, a thousand hours uh, of you know guys playing in the in, in the Southern Conference. So I, I just my eyes see two guys that I can be potential stars at the position where the Blazers need it um, in the next four years to be successful with Damian Lillard. So. That's what I'm thinking. I either try to get if you know the ping pong balls fall, and I could go there. I mean, it's hard if you draft fourth and there's Ivy. That guy is obviously the guy to pick. 
But you got this guy here, Damian Lillard, and this other guy here, Simons. So you you should take the best available. If I think he's special, I'm taking him. If I think he's special, I'm taking him regardless. Right. But then if you're Joe Cronin, you just basically said, I really hope this owner or the next owner gives me credit for doing what's best for this franchise long term. Because I, we're not going to win a title with Damian Lillard, Simons, and Ivy starting. So we've got an issue here. Well, Ivy and would, I have to Ivy, would def- Ivy would definitely come off the bench. Um, first right. couple of years, but you're not. That, but but, that's if, he, but if he like, comes but, off the bench and he's lighting it up, then you're cool with that because because now your bench is money. Well, if if you draft him one, two, three, or four, he better. Right. The NBA doesn't have patience yeah. for taking a top four pick and having him coming off the bench and average eight. Like that ain't going well. Like you're not gonna keep your job there. You know, like, hey, score an eight a game. That's exactly what we want from a you know our third overall pick. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so moving forward a little bit here, since we've talked about what could or couldn't happen with this Blazers team. Let's ask this question or pose this question. Let's say the Blazers can use that mid-level exception and get Grant and keep the pick, however they do it. They, they give up because they can't – they don't have their 2023 pick. That's going to go to the Bulls because they kept this year's pick. But then they have their 24 pick and they'll have that Bucks pick. They can trade both of those even though they're back-to-back picks because one doesn't belong to them. One, well, they own it, but it's someone else's pick. You can't trade your own pick in back-to-back years. So conceivably, you could use a mid-level and offer someone a 2024-2025 first-round pick. Who knows? Maybe you can get something for that. Let's just say they get something for that that's legit. Let's just say Jeremy Grant for the sake of argument. They use a sixth pick. They get a bench player who might be good three or four years down the road. How far away with that team? Let's say, let's say you're starting Dame, Ant, Nasir or Hart at the three. One's coming off the bench. Grant at the four. Uh, Nurkic. Nurkic at center. Like I said, you got Hart or, Nur- or Nasir coming off. You got the young player coming off. You still got Keon. You still, you still got uh, oh, a trend in Walford. And then you still have your mid-level exception. Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow, yeah. And then your mid-level, your full tax or non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which I think is going to be around 11 or 12 million. You can get a good player for that. You can sign a guy to a three-year, $40 million deal with that because it escalates each year. So you can get a solid player for that. Uh, if that all happens, how close could the Blazers be to actually making noise and are, and are contending in the NBA given that there is no super team in operation? Not very close. <laughs> I mean, just, Come on! Just not. Come on! No! 
<laughs> they're not. That team, that team is gonna make it to the playoffs and lose in the first round, or maybe sneak to the second round. But they're not. They need a second player that is all star level and doesn't play the same position as Damian Lillard or or Simons. You know, I, it's just the truth. I mean, you look at. NBA championship teams and and they don't they're not built like that. They're just not. I mean, even you know people people like to talk about Milwaukee, but they have three guys that have been all stars just on that team, right? And one and one player that's a unicorn. Right. And as much as I love Damian Lillard, he's not a unicorn. He's just a great point guard. Right. But he he doesn't dominate both sides of the court. He doesn't. He's not seven feet tall, playing like like a guard on defense and a, you know, a center on offense one minute and still shooting threes. I mean, that's that's not going to get you there. I mean, they still need, they need that six pick to be. Yeah, I'm not saying Giannis, but it needs to be like a a shocker. You know that that guy ends up being Dwayne Wade, an all star. And if that happens, you can win a championship. But if he's just a rotational player or a guy that averages 15 and six, you're going to be mediocre. And even with two all-stars or caliber players, I mean, Utah's not close to winning a championship. And they've got an all-star and a center that is, you know, the best. He's also an all-star. Right. And the best defensive player, you know, in the league. And they're not going to win it. So, uh, and I don't think there won't be a super team. I mean, I think, look, New Orleans could be a super team. <laughs> you know, they could be. And the Warriors are the Warriors are a super team when healthy, and the Suns are a super team when healthy. So no, you're asking for a lot. No, no. Come on. No. Come no. on. Okay, Craig. Super team. Okay, the super teams are Magic Kareem worthy. Okay. Okay, the LeBron, Warriors are a super team. LeBron. Wade Bosch, not Paul Booker Aiton. Come on. No. Okay. Fine. But the war Warriors are a super team. No, they're not a super team. They were when they had Durant. I don't think they're a super team without Durant. I think Curry, Clay, or Curry great, Clay really good, Draymond a great role player. But that's not to me, that's not a super team because Hey, have you seen this other guy that's been starting and scoring 30 a night? He's pool. pretty darn good. Yeah, he's he's 23. Nice. Yeah, he's pretty nice. He's 23. You think he makes twenty three? <laughs> yes, I think when you have when you have three okay, all stars, well, you're a super team. I think three all stars is a super team. It depends. Well, you're comparing it to the, the Lakers and Magic and the Celtics, and you know with Bird and not know, not all and Mikael. No, not all not all all stars are created equal. E- equal. Steph's Steph's not an all star, and Clay Healthy's not just an all star, and Draymond Green's an all star. Clay I mean, has I, always been just a good all star. He's not. He's not an MVP candidate. He's not a generational talent. He's just a really good player. To, to me, listen, okay, we just, we're, we're, we're kind of. Yeah, we're semantics, semantics here. Yeah, I'm just semantics. saying so they're going to be hard to beat when healthy. Yeah, but there's just been way better. You're not, super let's just say your team that you described is not beating any of the teams I just described. <laughs> they're not being a Warriors team that's healthy with those guys. They're not being, beating a, a New Orleans Pelicans team that has, you know, Ingram, CJ, and Zion Williams healthy, and these, you know, a guy who playing, guy's got the worst name in the world, Jones, but he's the best defensive player we've seen in a long time at that age. <laughs> like, 
you're, you're just not beating those teams with that roster because you don't have you don't have a defensive standout that unless it's one of those guys, you don't have another guy that you know can score is going to be an all star or even debatable on that team. You know, Nurkic is not going to look. I had hopes about Nurkic when he came over and he was 23 and he was going 30 20. You know what I mean? Like I did. And now I just think Nurkic is good. When he's healthy, he's going to be good, but he's not going to be Jokic. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to change your your entire team and he's not going to grow into what Aiton might grow into. Um, So now you're going to have to do something else. I wish you. Were, I wish I had a different answer. Here's what I think: if Dame, if Dame gets back to being Dame, like full fledged MVP caliber, Dame, twenty eight, eight, high shooting percentages, clutch, et cetera, et cetera. If that happens, if Ant Ant scoring will come down because he's playing with Dame, but if his efficiency remains, if he's still hitting that forty percent threes, and he's still a guy who can get his own shot and hit clutch shots, so now you have two guys like that. And he's a more athletic, better. All around, I think scorer than than uh, than CJ. I think he has that potential to be. If those two things happen, and you get a Jeremy Grant, and he can give you the length and athleticism defensively to go along with Nurk, to go along with Nasir, to go along with Hart, and that everyone buys in, because part of the problem was Billups didn't believe that everyone was buying in, and that includes Covington, Powell, and not that CJ wasn't buying in; she just wasn't capable. Um, your defense elevates. Your the scoring is going to be there. So I think if those, if all of those things happen, I honestly believe, and hear me out, <laughs> I honestly believe they will be in a position to be able to beat every team in the West in a series. They just can't string together three straight series wins against the West. Yeah, I mean, I, I, first of all, let me just say this. I believe all those things that you just said will happen. I mean, I think Dame's going to be Dame. Uh, at least for two more years, maybe more. He takes care of himself. Shooters, he's always going to be able to shoot even when he's 60 and maybe can't run. So I'm not worried about him. Uh, so I, I'm i confident he's going to score in that 25 to you know 28 range. I'm confident that Simon is going to be a really, really good player. And their defense can't get worse. So I believe in all those things you said. And I think you're – if things play out right could they beat every i mean i don't think they can beat a, a healthy warriors team or a healthy suns team as they're currently constructed but an injury here an injury there like could happen but i i just think teams will be, be- teams are better than that you know they're constructed better than that at least for short periods of time and um but i don't think that's bad you know i i don't think it's awful to to give yourself a chance. I mean, the Blazers did it for 10 years and I've always said as like a guy that grew up watching the Knicks, I, I would have taken being a Blazer fan way more than being a Knicks fan. So I get the fact that you could get bored with just being good and not being great, but being good is better than sucking. (laughs) So like sometimes you just, you know, winning a title is really, really hard. You know, most franchises don't do it. Um, and then you got to get a little lucky. I mean, the Bucks got lucky twice in franchise history. They took Lou Alcindor, you know, got before he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then they got Giannis, you know, like that's, that's, and they won titles then. It's, 
it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's not that easy. I'm just saying when you look at it. No, it's true. The, that's that that's when they won titles. Dallas just picked another generational player. Will he win them a title? I don't know. You know, it's hard. Um, but it's better than tanking, you know, as far as to be a fan. I mean, maybe this will help because I think the Blazers fan base enjoys the underdog role and they enjoy uh, get watching the uh, players and the teams getting better. I got to, you know, in my 13 years here, I've seen that multiple times and that's when they get excited. They don't, they get a little bored when you're going to win between 45 and 52, you know, and, yeah. and you're like, Oh, and we're going to lose in the second round. So I think we're going to get to see that at least. I agree. I mean, I, I, I think they're going to be a fascinating and interesting and, and pretty good team. I think they're going to be a threat to, you know, <clears throat> play with any of these teams in the West because I'm not I'm not overly well. I shouldn't say I'm not impressed. I like this better because there isn't a dominant super team. Um, there's just a bunch of good teams, but there isn't a team that's like okay. There's no way they're going to lose like the Warriors with Durant. Uh, but I just don't think that they can win 16 playoff games. You know, or win 12 even to get to the finals, or even win eight to get to the, the conference finals. That's just going to be a, too tall of an order unless they can get someone, like you said, is a legitimate all star. If you can, instead of getting Grant, you somehow get Durant because he wants out of the Nets, then that's different. But the odds of that happening are one in a, probably a million. So that's, that's not going to be a thing. <laughs> and, and, the, and you know, do the, the Clippers move off of Paul George? If you got someone like that, man, no, I can entertain it. But those types of players, those, types of players that change your franchise from, hey, we're just good to, oh my God, we can win this thing. Aren't, there aren't that many of them and they're not usually available. So I think the Blazers are going to make some moves and, and be a nice, fun, interesting team with a definite ceiling. And that ceiling is that they're not going to, they're not going to contend. And so then the question is, you know, becomes, you know, is, is Damien going to be satisfied with that moving forward? Or is he going to be like, okay, we've hit our heads against the ceiling. Nothing's ever going to change here. Uh, it's time to uh, move me or the team, the franchise says we want to move you. And they mutually agree that he he moves and you get some assets and, and start over. So we'll see. Yeah. To me, the big thing with Dame is that this is super max. Like, I know. You know. What do you do with that? Like if you're the Blazers, you're in a tough spot. He did mention that in the, the Cowherd, he did a podcast with uh, Colin Cowherd and Cowherd asked him a question about like, and he did it in a very diplomatic way. But he basically asked him, is it disrespectful to ask an NBA star to take less money to build a team that can win a championship? And Damien answered it like the pro he is. He's, but the bottom line is he said, look, if they come to me and they offer you know, a contract and they have a plan for how to use you know, how, how we're going to get to a championship level basically – and it might be less than the super max. I would listen. So um, he basically he basically said his other contract. They offered it. He took it. They didn't ask. Right. the The thing is, that's a lot of people bring that up, but it's really hard to do that because you're already over the like. If you're over the cap, yeah. Now, what's the difference between five mil? Well, how do you go? You have in order to sign someone, you have to be under. So you have to go yeah. back under, sign a person, and then go over. Like, is, so you're going to go under. So you're going to tell Dane to take one million, and now you go under twenty five, and you sign someone, and then the next, like, it just it doesn't. It's not like the NFL. In the NFL, there's a hard 
cat with no wiggle room. So Tom Brady can literally say, okay, instead of giving me three years 100, I'll take three years 80. And now you you legitimately have $20 million to go spend on a, on a, you know, on a left tackle and a receiver to help me. Basketball, you can't. And they really can also sign the bonus money and they can add years to a contract. Spread it out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's just a, the NFL just basically says, you know, you, you could figure it out and still keep people. Right. Well, and you, you and can't do that in the NBA. Well, yeah, you're never, you're never over the cap. So if I give back five million, that five million can go to a player. If Dame says, okay, instead of paying me 50, I'll make 40. Well, you're still over the cap. You're just not over the cap by as much. You can't then take that 10 million and go spend it on someone else. You see what I'm saying? No, no. I, I'm, I've, I've said it the whole time. Like, you, you know, the difference between 30 and 40 million dollars signing a guy with the cap, it only matters when you can get rid of them like the Blazers did with CJ. You know what I mean? Like, and you take and somehow get people that are making a break it up into less money to get rid of it. And that's the thing, which you, it's not like you could just sign somebody uh, right away with it. It makes it tough. Hey, but we're gonna we uh, we have to talk about one thing here, and we haven't talked about like you did a uh, you're not all, always awesome at promoting yourself, which is weird. You know, people <laughs> people think that you're all about Fentress, but sometimes you forget your work. Uh, you did a, an awesome piece uh, on assistant coach. Uh, I think she goes by Eddie. Is that right? Eddie yeah, Curry? Eddie, Anisha Curry, but she goes by Eddie, Coach Eddie. Which is funny because as a Nick fan, Eddie Curry brings up very bad emotions. <laughs> so I, I, I'd rather not do that. And so when I say As Eddie a Bulls Curry, fan, I'm with you. Well, go ahead. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of busts. Uh, but anyway, uh, that, that piece you did a few weeks ago where you got to talk to her about um, her role with the Blazers. And, you know, it's kind of amazing. I mean, she jumps from... Maine, right. you know, like, and I went to the University of Rhode Island. We kind of make fun of Maine, you know, so uh, that's a heck of a jump. But she was coaching both uh, women and then men at Maine. And now here she is in the NBA. And it seems like, you know, from everything the Blazers said and everything you wrote that she's making a, a real impact. Um, what kind of impact did she have with you when you got to, you know, kind of talk to her in depth? Yeah. So essentially, I, I wanted to do this story in the fall. And then on a road trip, I got sick. I got COVID. And then when I got back from COVID, the team fell to pieces. <laughs> so this story got put on the back burner. And then when I finally got around to doing it, it became actually, it was actually a better story because all the younger players that she's in charge of working with, because now she's basically in charge of the player development. We're all contributing and playing and, and helping them win games with obviously being led by Dame, or excuse me, uh, Ant and Nurkic, and then later uh, Hart and Winslow. Um, so then it, be, it became a better story. But then, of course, Blazers started tanking and sitting people out. And then these players were still playing, but and they were doing well, but they weren't even close to being able to win in the NBA, obviously. But anyway, um, she was amazing to talk to, so much fun to, to get to know her, super cool. Uh, but she's definitely making an impact. And one thing we should do on the next podcast is sort of go through the roster. And I'm, I'm writing capsules right now and who's coming back, who's not, who I believe in your contract situations. We can go over that on the next podcast. But she is having a direct impact on a lot of these players that you wonder what the roles are going to be moving forward. Like Greg Brown, like uh, she works partially with Trenton Wofford, not full-time, but partially. Keon Johnson is under her tutelage, Elijah Hughes, CJ Ellaby. Uh, and all of them just swear by her in terms of, not only her basketball knowledge and her coaching ability, but her approach. And this sort of comes into the whole 
you know, male-female thing where, you know, we're starting to see more women coaches in the NBA. The question is, of course, could a woman become a head coach? How does that work? And whether people wanted to admit to it or believe it or not, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to have a bunch of guys except being coached by a woman. That's just a fact. That's something that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's going to have to be the right team with the right superstar to help lead the way because there still is going to be somewhat of a barrier there because people are just not used to it. But one of the things these guys said was that they like her approach as opposed to some of the male coaches' approaches because they can be more abrasive and less personal and more like the get her done type of thing. Whereas she has taken the time to really get to know the guys on a different level, to understand who they are and what they're about and coach them differently. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't women coaches out there who can't, you know, bring down the hammer and be tough. And it also doesn't mean there's not male coaches out there who can be more cerebral and more uh, handle things in a, a more uh, personable way. But she even admits that, yeah, there's there's different, we all do things differently and there are different ways that genders handle things uh, across the board and that she believes that the way she handles things is really a good way to really get through to some guys and the players agree like Greg Brown's like I'm I'm shy and I'm quiet you know and she got to know that about me and then the way she approaches dealing with me is treating me as someone who's shy and quiet but wants to work hard so I don't respond to just being yelled at and berated that's just going to make me shut down whereas Curry came at it completely differently and can get the same message across in a way that makes Greg respond Right. And get the most out of them. And, and she just deals with each guy different. Now, Trenton Wofford, Rodford, someone, one of them said, you know, it's not like she can't be fiery. She'll get on you when it's appropriate, but they really love her approach. And even like Curry or uh, Billups said, you know, Billups said flat out, she handles things a lot differently than a lot of male coaches do. And, and they see the benefit of that. And they also saw, see the benefit of her having worked in college with young males 19 to 23, which is exactly. <laughs> The wheelhouse of guys she's dealing with right now in in player development. So it's an interesting one. And I asked her about, you know, are we going to see a a woman coach? And she says, yeah, she thinks, she thinks we will. Um, It's probably going to, you know, require not just a change on players or a change on mindset in pro sports, but a change on society and accepting it. And one of her points was like, look, all of these guys or most of these guys have been led by women their entire lives. Women, their, their moms are strong central figures in their life. And their moms were telling them what to do. You know, their entire lives. So why can't they be told what to do by a woman on the basketball court? Why does it have to be, oh, no, well, I can't take you seriously because you're not a man? And that does come down to a societal thing in a lot of different ways. And she said to me that she's had players from Maine, who she coached at Maine, reach out to her and they're like, Coach Eddie, you know, I, I'm working such and such place and my boss is a woman. She's awesome. And I believe that my perception of her and that role was partly shaped by you as being my coach and me learning from you and being taught and coached by you. Because let's face it, if you're, you know, if you're a kid growing up playing sports and you're always playing for male coaches, you're going to have a certain impression of what that's supposed to be. And so it comes down to exposure and being able to accept something because you're, you're immersed in it and you realize, oh, this is not big a deal. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to happen at some point. It's just got to be the right person in the right place. And I think that person has to go prove themselves as a head coach someplace else. Like the whole thing with, uh, um, in college, it might be there first, you know, it might happen in, in the college ranks first. And well, there's, uh, oh yeah, yeah, woman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but you know, like the whole thing with, um, oh my God, the San Antonio coach, Becky Harmon. 
That's why I'm here. That's why you got me. Becky Hammond. Right. To me, like Hammond. Yeah, Hammond, not Harmon. To me. I'm sorry. That's why you got Andrew. Right. To, to me, Combined, Becky, we get it. <laughs> to me, Becky is not, is not the right place, right time, right person, because she hasn't been a head coach. Go be a head coach. Go, go prove that you're an elite level head coach, not that you're an assistant on Popovich's staff. And to me, if, if you're a guaranteed successful head coach, why isn't Popovich going to basically say you're his re- replacement in waiting? So there's something weird there to me. But to me, if you want to be a head coach, okay, in the NBA, well, be a head coach somewhere else and show that you're a dominant head coach and can be a great head coach and then make the jump, not go from assistant. Now you say, well, men do it. Well, yeah, men mostly who played in the NBA and there's still that dynamic to get over that I think is going to take time. The other thing too about Becky, and I don't mind saying this, I really don't take heed about it, I don't care, is that in no way, shape or form should the NBA, which is 80% black, be leaning toward giving a head coaching job to a white woman over a black male who played 18 years in the league. And as someone who's watched and seen how tough it's been and how much black men have had to overcome in the coaching world, I'm a little offended that it was like, oh, we should give it to this white woman who never played in the NBA and has never been a head coach over a any series of black coaches who have played in the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's going to happen eventually. I think it has to be the right person, right time. And I think that woman first should probably have to go prove that she's a legitimate big-time head coach before making that leap. And also, you want to do it in the right spot. You want to do it in a situation where you're going to be supported, where you're going to have a good team. You don't want to be in a rebuilding situation because it's going to be guaranteed failure. And then that's just going to hurt the situation. You want to be in a situation where she isn't put in a position to succeed. So Anisha thinks it's going to happen at some point. She thinks that society is going to shift its feelings on this and that'll become more acceptable. Once it's more acceptable by society, then the players will fall in line and then we'll see it happen. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And, um, I'm, I'm rooting a little bit for Dawn Staley because I think that um, she's been a – obviously, she was an amazing college player, an amazing uh, Olympic player, an amazing pro player, and now she's an amazing head basketball coach. And um, I – you know, if you ask me right now who could do this tomorrow, um, I think it's Dawn Staley. Right. Um, and that and to me makes – There's others out more, there. That but, to me makes much more sense. Because she's kicking ass in college as a head coach, right? So now and she's say, one of the greatest players to ever play. Exactly. So then you say, okay, now should she coach college men first? Should she then go be a male assistant for several years first, as opposed to making the leap from college women to male NBA? I think there, I think there's a legitimate case for that. Like go okay now coach college men like I don't I don't think the first women's coach to coach men should necessarily be in the NBA like I think it can be in yeah, other so, areas first yeah. like so, major college now, basketball. I, I will say this I honestly believe this I think that you know Pat Summit I think that Dawn Staley I think there are a lot of women coaches that could coach uh, not obviously Pat Summit not tomorrow but I, I you know in the past I do believe um. Basketball is basketball in a lot of ways. If you have a great basketball mind, and it's proven by the fact they've let men go coach women, and be and they've been successful right away. I do understand that there's other aspects. What does what does that what does that prove? It proves that the gender didn't matter. You know that you could coach. Well, well, if if uh, if of the basketball, if, if the players are accepting of the coach, 
No, no, no. No, I'm saying right. basketball is basketball. I'm going to say there are other aspects at play. And and those do affect, you know, the game. And when a man goes to coach women because that's happened before and it it and those relationships those those women have had male coaches before just because that's how society is, it there was no nobody going, well men can't coach women. And that's because uh, society's already seen it and accepted it. Um, I, I'm just confident that like a Dawn Staley, for instance, could coach, could coach men successfully. We just have to get to a place where um, it's not so different and that it wouldn't be a, we wouldn't be talking about that switch. Um, and I, I would love to see it happen without the transition, just for the, just for the experiment, you know what I mean? Could Dodd Staley coach, you know, the Mavericks tomorrow and they win? Um, but you know, we won't. I don't think it'll happen that quickly. I agree with you that they'll 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 have to coach probably men somewhere else at some level, whether it is an assistant coach or a head coach in men's men's basketball. But uh, but anyway, I thought the article was great. I love learning about her. She seems like. Um, a great, you know, just a great personality. And you can just from hearing her answers, uh, you could tell why she's making an impact on, on the Blazers. So well done, Aaron. And uh, we got to always remind him, Andrew, that he's got to promote his work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted out. You mean promote, you mean promoted on here? No, on the podcast. Oh. Like, you know, we're we talking talked stuff. About right we talked stuff. about Anisha, you know? We got to it eventually, right? But we had to bring it up. I think we had to bring it up. But anyway, what? Uh, I got you. I what? Got are, you. Let's hit, let's end it with either a factor fentress or a no look pass. Which who's prepared? I've got no factor fentress, so let's go with no look pass. You got something, Andrew? Yeah, I should note that Becky Hammond uh, is a head coach now. Now she is. Yep, in the WNBA. Aces of the WNBA. Right, so. and she goes in there, she kicks ass. Then now you're in a better position. We'll find out because that season starts soon. Um, all right. Got a couple for you. What's your finals matchup if the finals uh, were to start today? Who who you got? Uh, you go first. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's I got Warriors Celtics. I mean, to me, I think the Warriors are going to win it all. I mean, the fact that Booker came back already makes me uh, makes it more interesting. But I just think that the Warriors are the Warriors again with another with a new twist, and uh, they're really good and. No one's better. No one's playing better than uh, you know the Celtics right now. Um, a shout out Portland's own Ime Odoko. Well done. That team is peaking at the right time, and their defense is just—I mean, it's a thing to watch. Um, so that's that's who I got. Those aren't bad choices. Um, I'm kind of st- appreciate that. I'm Thanks, st- Aaron. St- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was looking for holes. Uh, I think it's just so wide open. I don't even, I, I can't even like, I can't even say it. if I had to put money on it though, I'm going to roll with the Suns if, as long as Paul stays healthy, only because I just think he is just so savvy and he just elevates their efficiency and they've got a big guy inside who can do a lot of damage and Booker is just phenomenal when he's healthy. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the Suns right now, although I think they can be beaten by the Warriors or Memphis for that matter. It's, wait, Memphis is playing, uh, Golden State next, right? Golden State. Yeah. And then um, in the East, man, I'm kind of with you on Boston, only because over the last few months, they've been the best team in basketball. But 
I'm going to roll with the champs until I see differently because Giannis is still just ridiculous. Uh, Milton's that way. Milton's out a couple more weeks though, right? Yeah. I mean, they're saying he's not going to, he'll probably miss, definitely going to miss the first two games. And I don't know, man, you took MCL and, it's it's a month, right? I mean, like, yeah. And even if you come back, so that's that's kind of why I'm I'm with the Celtics, not yeah, not I, the Bucks. I, I, I mean, I if Middleton was healthy, it would be tougher. But yeah, yeah I'm, he's I'm, out I'm, for a, a little while. I'm gonna go with you on that because I had forgotten when I started talking. It was it was more like four weeks with him. So yeah, without him, that's. I mean, they whacked my Bulls without him, but the Bulls were just so soft. They gotta make some moves. Uh, but so yeah, I'll roll with the Celtics on you just because they've been the hottest team. But obviously, there's other threats. Philadelphia, I'm just not buying because I just can't trust Harden. What's going on with James Harden? Did he really just fall off the cliff? He can't get past people that are in his way anymore, and it's causing problems. And he can't shoot because they're not afraid of him getting past them. It's amazing. It's like it's like he got old. That's what happens. If you don't keep yourself in shape. It catches up to you. He needs to shave the beard, get lighter. Miami doesn't have any guys who might body him up and make it hard to get past him. Oh, oh my God. Could wait, you imagine Jim, Jimmy Butler on his ass? <laughs> and uh, Andrew, who do you got? I, I think I'm I'm with the the Warriors, uh, Warriors Celtics. Um, and I think the Warriors, you know, barring a Draymond back injury or something, I think they're going to do it again. Damn it. I always knew Thien was brilliant. I do not want them to win another championship, <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. Um, and then my other one is just kind of more philosophical, I guess. Uh, the This is the first time in 17 years there's no KD or LeBron in the second round of the playoffs. And that's kind of a historical anomaly, I guess. But that begs the question, Are we is the NBA on a path toward becoming something more like the NFL where it's a uh, – it's more of a crapshoot who wins every year. We're not going to have the dynasties who ring up two or three in a row. Or do you think this is kind of a blip in between? And, you know, we're getting back to that run where it's usually teams trading off winning a couple titles. You go first. I'm just going to say if the Warriors win, it feels like they're still, we still got a, you know, still part of their dynasty because, you know, Steph and Clay and Draymond are still there. So I can't, I can't go there with you. Um, and I still think that the NBA is so much of a player's – there's only five players on the court at one time. And with that, it's easy to get a – it's easier to get a dynasty um, if you can get three core players, which um, has kind of shown through, um, and they stick around for five years, you, you, can, you can win two or three t- titles. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I think that the NBA – um, well, it will be an anomaly if if we have like a you know a Bucks championship and then you know the Suns championship because uh, I think eventually you'll get three guys that'll be together for five years and that's when dynasties exist in the NBA and it's not as hard to do as it is in the NFL with their uh, you know when you got twenty two players just on offense and defense. Okay, so. You don't know what you're talking about. I just had to say that once. Sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just had to get that out once. <laughs> no. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. So the Warriors, to me, as we talked about, they drafted their guys. And so it's more pure. To, to me, you're, so, and, and the, the only championship they won with the pure team was the one they won against 
the Cavs when the Cavs were without Kyrie and Love. The other two, they won with Durant when they were unstoppable. And I think Thien's talking about that type of team or that Miami team or those super teams where it's like, there's no way in hell anyone's going to beat them because they have three of the best eight players in the NBA on their team. The Warriors, as they are right now, they won 53. They didn't win 68. They didn't win 73. They're not that dominant. They're really good. But if they win it, I'm not going to feel like this unbeatable dominant team won it. I'm going to feel like a really good basketball team won the, won the title. But I also think they're they're beatable. I think I think Memphis and the Suns can definitely push them to six or seven and maybe win. I, I kind of actually like the Suns if they have Booker. I think they can win that series. So I am hoping we're we're now in that era where you look at a Boston with two stars that they drafted, Tatum and Brown, might be the best team. You look at a team like Milwaukee who drafted Giannis 15th, and then they traded for Middleton and they brought in an, another piece, but not a all not a megastar. They brought in just a good star guard. Um, and, and then it just creates more parity. It creates more interest. Now, the super team that was constructed fell to pieces. The one in, in Brooklyn fell to pieces. That was a super team. That team should have won the title last year if they had been healthy. And this year, if, Ky- if Kyrie hadn't been a, a, just a tool the entire season, they wouldn't have been where they were going into the playoffs. So that team's imploding. And now you got LA with Davis can't stay healthy and LeBron's now getting old. So then the question is, is there a couple guys in this next generation of talent coming into the NBA taking over who are going to say, I don't like it here. I'm going to go play with my friend over there. Now, if that happens again, then we're going to be back into that same situation. I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping this generation of young players are not going to be like that and that they're going to want to compete against each other and beat each other, not join forces and make it super easy on themselves as LeBron has done and as uh, Durant did going by, by going to Golden State. I'm just going to say that if if three guys, um, three core guys win four titles, history will look at them as being a dynasty. And you could break it up the way you want. We'll just disagree. I mean, if they win a title this year, three guys on the same team, three core guys will have four titles. And to me, that's a, that's that gets included in a dynasty. In yeah, twenty I, I, years, I'm not saying it's not a dynasty. Say the I'm, Warriors were a dynasty, but I'm not saying it's not a dynasty. I'm saying it's not. It's not a that two well, of the, that's what two of the that's t- what the question was. <laughs> but he but he was okay. I I heard it as meaning we're okay. We're getting away from the super team constructed. The only dynasties we've seen, really, other than what the Spurs did, were manufactured by something. Something where a major, major star made moves to, inv- to create that situation. So that's not the Warriors situation, the first championship and this championship. It was for the Durant championships. But that's not a thing anymore. So yeah, it's still considered, it'll still be considered the Warriors dynasty. They won four titles in six years. But the team that would win it this year would not be a team that should be considered a dynastic team because that team yeah, but is he, nowhere I, near as good I, as it was. I'm pretty sure with, he was just talking about how in the NFL teams are, you know, the, the, it feels like I the Patriots said dynasty is kind of over. I kind of right? said both. Yeah, I kind of said yeah. both, though. You're you're both yeah. on it. I mean, so I, we are, we're both right. Yeah, we're both right. I'm just and that's a right. perfect way to end. I'm right? Just more, Isn't I'm that? Just, it? But Andrew, I'm just a little bit more right, right? <laughs> please, please daddy tell me i'm your favorite can i please. get a 52 48 nod on this so i can go to bed uh, happy yeah. tonight yes i beat craig uh, yes it was close and i won <laughs> what's oh, funny awesome. is that i'm only half joking i know i'm good i feel i have enough confidence in myself 
I live in a house I where must, I'm never right, I so just have, partial rights cool. I must have affirmation affirmation of my genius on a daily basis. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay, we, we okay. I, I hear you though, but I, I I agree with what you're saying just with that one little twist, and I just. I'm so. It's just so much more interesting. You hate like, the Warriors. Like, dude, you hate no, the Warriors. No, I don't. I hate what they did with you Durant. You do. You I, do. I, I, you lie I, if when you say you don't. Every chance you get, whenever we say Warriors, people can't see this. But Andrew and I, every time we start talking about the Warriors, Fentress's you know bald head scrunches in places you didn't know there were folds. <laughs> like he can't. He's going to lie. Whatever he says about not hating the Warriors is a lie. I like the Warriors. I don't hate them. I don't hate KD. I love Steph Curry. I got no problem with them. He okay, let me, let me, let me say stand let giving me say them credit, and he hates Kevin Durant more than – No, you know, no, I don't. I hate I mushrooms. Don't. I don't. And I do not like mushrooms. Okay. I hate what Kevin Durant did. I don't hate Kevin Durant. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. I was I'm pulling sorry. for Kevin Durant to win in Brooklyn to get himself a legit championship. I'm actually pulling for, for Curry – to get one as well to a certain degree, because I believe that Curry was tainted by the Durant thing because he let some other dude come into his house and be the best player on his team and win championships and get finals MVP. Seth Curry does not have a finals MVP. And partially, and part of that because they, he allowed the enemy to come into his house and eat all the food <laughs> in his refrigerator. <laughs> the enemy. The enemy. Dur- Durant was the enemy. the enemy. Durant was the enemy. <laughs> and so, now Durant's gone, I, part of me would like to see Curry get a title that would be not at all tainted by injury to the other team or by having Durant around. So this, if, he, if they win a title, this would be his most legit title of his career. Okay, we, we, We've got to stop. Uh, a, because uh, no one wants to listen to us this long. And two, because this is, it's because it's called Blazers Focused. <laughs> And we're and we're starting to, we're starting to go we're going Warriors off the rails, focused. Man. All right, I'm <laughs> yeah, good. Are you good? Go. Is that it? We done? We've exhausted this. Thing. I think we're good. Okay, but one fi- one final thing to his point. Five seconds. Five <laughs> seconds is that the fact that you look at the NBA right now, you can make an argument for eighteen or six six teams at least winning the championship, and that's how it should be. And and in too many years in the past, you knew who the top two were going to be, and you pretty much knew who one was going to be for too many years of the last ten. 15 years. Anyway. All right. That's it for the Blazer Focus podcast. Thanks for listening. Next week will be a week before the lottery and a week before the combine. I will actually be at the combine. We need to discuss if we're going to do a podcast from the combine or after the combine. Either way, next week we're going to talk a lot about uh, the roster, who's coming back, who's not. Check OregonLive.com for the player capsules I'm writing. I'm writing something on every single player, their contract status, the likelihood of their returning, their strengths and weaknesses how they could fit in the future, how they couldn't fit at all. So be sure to check those out. And I'm Aaron Fentress along with Craig Bernbach, and we will catch you next time on the Blazer Focus Podcast.